Today, we've got two incredible guests for the Think Tank panel. We've got Mark Saunders, former chief of police, former candidate for mayor. Uh, Welcome to you, Mark. How are you this morning? Good morning, Ben. I'm fine, thank you. Oh, I'm so glad to be talking to you, as well as a former colleague of mine, Stephanie Smythe, joining us for a broadcaster. Stephanie Smythe, how are you, Stephanie? Hey, Ben. I'm great, and it is so great to hear you on the radio rizzing uh, Greg's show up. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you know what? We've got a lot to talk about. We've got a long time as well, but I really want to jump right in. Uh, This first story might take us down a little bit, but I find this to be absolutely gross uh, about this Toronto police officer and public servant who were sentenced to seven years in prison because they stole um, about $834,000 from the estate of a dead man. And, you know, uh, Mark, there is a lot that is revolting about this story. you got a police officer and a client service representative for something called the Ontario Public Guardian and Trustee. They defrauded the estate of a man with Alzheimer's to the tune of nearly nine hundred grand. But here's what stuck with me, Mark, um, that this officer has been on paid leave since 2020. And I've got to wonder, now that he's been convicted, should he have to repay the city for the cost of his paycheck? Well, he won't. And I will tell you the amount of times that I sat in a room with other chiefs of police in Ontario with their hair on fire over this has been ongoing and it has been ongoing for decades. The Criminal Code versus the Police Services Act. And you know where the problem is? The problem is when it comes to defining serious offense under the Police Services Act, And there is no sweet spot for that. So because of that, you cannot suspend um, without pay. And you can't even increase your establishment because of that particular person. And public trust, reputational damage, it is just a lose-lose across the scenario. And it so does not represent the 99% of the men and women that are doing it right and putting their lives on the line for the public. No, of of course it doesn't. And I have nothing but the utmost respect for for the police uh, in this city and across this province, indeed across the country, uh, who who protect us every single day and put themselves in harm's way so that we don't have to. But this one guy... Uh, and he's not representative of the police. This is a this is a disgusting, gross act. What he and his girlfriend uh, did, uh, Stephanie. When you hear this story, and then you hear from a person like Mark Saunders, who knows uh, these these uh, these scenarios, and, and 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 says, "There's nothing we can do. This guy's money is in his pocket." How do you feel? Oh well, you know, these are people in positions of trust, and they violate trust. And it's it's absolutely despicable. The judge in this case called it like complex, highly planned, long lasting fraud operation. And it's just undermining confidence in these two critically, really important public institutions. The trustee looking after the most vulnerable members of society. If you ask me, like it's on the same par as the police officer. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the prosecutors wanted more time in prison for these two eight to nine years as a deterrent. Um, but, you know, I think that it, to Mark's point, it's, it's tragic that he can't doesn't have to be hit more where it hurts in the pocketbook. The only good that's coming out of this is it is getting a lot of attention and drawing attention to this kind of despicable act that can happen with people in, in positions of trust and puts us all, I guess, on alert. Well, Steph, I'm glad you brought up the point that the, the judge wanted them in jail for a, long, a longer period of time mm-hmm. because, as a deterrent, because the next story I want to talk about, um, it was a video by Brian Lilly on the Sun website, where he he points out that the Paul Bernardo move to a lower um, security facility uh, proves that uh, Trudeau is soft on crime. That's what the that's what the headline is. And the numbers that he digs down into are that there are 736 Canadian prison inmates who are deemed quote dangerous offenders. 
which I, I have to assume is the highest level of, of dangerous offender. If you're called a dangerous offender, it's because we got to, we're put you on a watch list amongst prisoners. And yet of those 736 Canadian prison inmates, only 99 of them are in maximum security penitentiaries. Now, I am proud that Canada left the death penalty behind decades ago, but it does feel that as a country, we have decided to forsake the notions of punishment and deterrence in favor of possible rehabilitation. We've created this binary system where it's an either or. And I'm genuinely wondering what exactly somebody has to do in this country to spend their entire life behind bars with no chance at parole. Stephanie, we're going to start with you. Well, you know, first of all, is there some secret organization that decides you know, what a dangerous offender is? Like, you know, what exactly does that mean? So in my mind, if you're a dangerous offender, you get the max and you stay in the max for the max that is whatever possible. Right. So, you know, if it's is the punishment not fitting the crime, um, do parole boards have some issues going on here, like Stockholm Syndrome with some of them that come before them? Um, you know, I'm not familiar with the system, Ben, but sometimes this seems completely off. Yeah. Um, at least, you know, you look at these numbers, it just seems absurd to me. So what exactly is a dangerous offender who decides and how can that in any way, shape or form sway from maximum to minimum or to medium security? Well, fortunately, Stephanie, we have Mark Saunders here with us who maybe maybe you can shed some light on this system that it just feels to to the average person a little bit kooky. You know, what? may the average person never be a victim of crime. Um, when I was chief, I would stand on the hilltop and off the cliffs or wherever and let people realize that 90% of people that are incarcerated will be released. Nine zero. So you're going to play second fiddle as victim, and it is a horrible experience to go through, especially working in, in murder for eight and a half years and working with homicide. But here's the thing. Buyer beware. This is about who you vote for. Ask the right questions when it comes to public safety. Ask the right questions and don't settle for second place. And make sure that you, you know, register that and really have a good appreciation of who you're voting for the next time and the next time the election comes up. Yeah, you know, uh, guys, I um, I went to law school. I did not become a lawyer. I think I, I don't believe I would have been a good lawyer. But I, there's a few things that I learned that stuck with me. And, and one of the notions that we talked about in our criminal justice classes was that um, when when deciding how long to put somebody in prison for, there were three pillars that you needed to address, punishment, rehabilitation, and deterrence. And time and time again, the narrative that comes to us when we hear these stories of 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 of, of prisoners and how long they're they're being sentenced for is that we we focus feel it feels like we focus so heavily on rehabilitation that we forsake punishment uh, and um, and and deterrence. And, and that frustrates people, doesn't it? Because as you're right, Mark, you're right. Uh, it, it feels like we are f- obsessed with uh, making sure that the prisoner is comfortable and we don't ask ourselves what is going to make life a little bit better for people whose lives were torn apart by the criminal. Yeah, the deterrent factor just is not there in today's environment, and that is unfortunate. And you've heard about bail review and you've heard how the ink is still wet when these people are getting out. And, and there are so many gaps in that system. And it's the entire system. Arresting has no value if there isn't uh, the back end that is taken care of as well, too. And we're seeing more and more of that. And the chiefs are talking quite loud and clear and making the public aware that, you know, they have to know that they have to play a role in that community safety piece by really listening and asking the right questions to the political uh, parties that, that represent them. 
Uh, we are on Think Tank right now. We're joined by Mark Saunders and Stephanie Smythe. Uh, thank you both for being here and offering up your insights, Steph. Uh, in uh, I remember watching you on TV, and you would have to give some terrible news um, to the viewers that there was an accident due to unsafe driving or speeding on the 401 or somewhere around the GTA. We hear now that there was uh, one young driver uh, who was clocked at 200 kilometers an hour on the QEW. And uh, the OPP said it was an 18-year-old driver, pulled over for speeding, uh, and <laughs> their excuse was they were late for a party. Now, I'm laughing about it because nobody was injured, but that's not always how these stories end. Well, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I hear a story like this, 200, um, 200K on a highway, and I'm like, oh, it's got to be a young male driver. Sorry to say, Mark Saunders, thank goodness you're here to back me up. But, I mean, there seems to be a disproportionate amount of young males that like to open her up and get to the party on time. It is, I'm so happy here nobody was injured in this case. But, yeah, I think that, you know, you hear about these situations far too often. And far too often they become deadly. And, you know, there are so many, you know, we were talking about frustrations. Ben, you were talking about frustrations on the road earlier. And I think that, you know, people are more inclined overall to want to open her up in the city as well, as much yeah. as we possibly can, given how, how you know, frustrating it is to get around right now. But, I mean, thankfully, nobody's clocking 200K on Mount Pleasant, right? Well, <laughs> I know. And we're going to talk about Mount Pleasant in a second. But I read in this article, uh, uh, Chief, that the OPP impounded the vehicle for 14 days and suspended the driver's license, the license of the driver, for 30 days. Again, like, this guy could have killed somebody. They, we could have had another situation where an entire family's life is destroyed because this person needed to get somewhere on time and had complete disregard for the safety of others on the road. And yet they're losing their license for 30 days and the car's impounded for two weeks. What, what sort of lesson does this person learn if, if the punishment doesn't fit the crime? Well, you know, we have to understand that, that this uh, suspending for 30 days and impounding is, is relatively net new in the province. It, it hasn't mm -hmm. been for, I don't know, uh, more than a decade. So it's a start. And, and as you know, we see that these cars can be faster now, some of these electric cars and things along those lines, um, it will hopefully change for the better when it comes to any kind of deterrent. But at least it is a deterrent. I don't think that there are a lot of other provinces that have it. But, you know, when I heard the speeds, the first thing that I thought was, well, it certainly didn't happen in Toronto because you can't <laughs> go over 30 kilometers most of the time in our city. right? Well, the, and, and, you know, that was the point. I was driving to work this morning and I noticed I was driving down Mount Pleasant and I noticed that the speed limit uh, had gone from 50 to 40. And I thought, I mean, I, I thought, am I am I um, seeing things? Am I imagining things? And I had to go on to Reddit to see if there was a conversation about this. It turns out, yeah, this, 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 the, the speed limit was quietly changed to 40. Now, Mount Pleasant is not like every other street in the city. There's not a lot of crosswalks. And at every single, at the three or four crosswalks that you get before you get to, up to Young Street, uh, I think it's two of them. I think there's only two of them. It's a, uh, there's a, there's a stoplight. So the, there are practically no people crossing the street around there. And when they're crossing, it's from a, it's from Rosedale into the ravine. So it's not exactly like uh, Young and Bloor. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and for some reason, the city has decided that they're going to limit people's speed from 50 to 40 without talking to people, without consultation. This is happening all over the city, all on the backdrop of uh, lane reductions in favor of, of bike lanes, making it harder and harder and harder for people to get places. And while, as I said off the top, I, I don't think this, this person um, who was driving at 200 kilometers an hour uh, should keep their car. Like, I'm sort of... 
sort of makes sense to me that if, if, if you keep people in a paddock for long enough, they're going to want to get out and run as fast as they can when they when they have the opportunity. Well, yeah, the frustrations of driving, I mean, around the city alone can be dangerous, right? Yeah. Like you mentioned that that speed limit on Mount Pleasant, right? Usually it's not not a lot of police there. And if you can open it up a little bit, but you know what, when you get through school zones, I understand that. Like when you're going past, you know, Branksome or Jarvis. Um, but right now, the way it is in the city, they're lowering speed limits. They're, you know, there's fewer lanes because of construction. Um, you know, the, the bike lanes, et cetera, all this would be fine if there was great transit. Yeah. But there still isn't. Yeah. Uh, Mark, Mark Saunders, when you were running uh, uh, for mayor, when you were, when you were running, oh, someone's dog is barking there. Uh, <laughs> when you were running for mayor, what was what was your stance on this sort of thing on the on the speed limits and on gridlock in the city of Toronto? Well, you know, I remember submitting a report that basically spoke that if you use technology properly, that it would reduce fatalities by up to twenty percent. So, if there's a law such as a sign, and if there's enforcement, which is technology. 99% of the time you would have compliance, people will behave, and that reduces loss of life and injuries and, and, and serious damage. But if the city is reducing the speed, and then if they start implementing technology, it would kind of look like they're using it as a means to generate revenue, which would take the, the complete spirit of what the, the technology is used for. And that would be very disheartening, especially you spoke about Mount Pleasant downhill, uh, double lane traffic and, and uh, clear and free to drive. So you have to find the right spots to use that type of technology. And that's intelligence led. The reports year after year show the types of collisions that happen, where those collisions are happening. That's where you can use technology the best to save lives. But if it's just someone at City Hall arbitrarily doing these things, then we, we should have a revisit to see why it's being done and, and, and what the purpose of it is all about. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We're going to move from City Hall, as you just said, to Queen's Park and Bonnie Crombie. Uh, recently, uh, she still has that new leader scent. Uh, she's the leader of the uh, Ontario Liberal Party. She has decided, though, she doesn't currently have a seat in Queen's Park. She decided that's not her priority. Uh, she is not going to run for a seat in the near term. And instead, she is going to focus on building the party from the grassroots. Uh, a few days ago, Steve Pakin joined me on this very radio station, and he laid out for me why he thinks Crombie not running in a by-election is a good idea. Here's what he had to say. Given that they don't have official party status, and, and the Liberals, therefore, don't get regular ice time during question period. There's really no reason right. for her to rush to get a seat. That's not all that important at the moment. Okay, so I've had a few days to think about this, uh, Mark and Steph, and here's why Steve is wrong. <laughs> Firstly, um, who says she has to choose between working the grassroots and holding the government to account? You can do both. It's not, it's not a binary choice. Secondly, uh, if she only gets one or two questions a week, she can absolutely make those things count. The cameras are going to be on her, which means it will be covered in the news. She'll be showcasing her communication skill, her debating skill, going toe-to-toe with the leader of the province. All of, all of those things can be leveraged by her party, um, and by herself, by her social media. And thirdly, this is probably most important, I'd love to know what you think on all three points, is the symbolism of it all. Leaders of parties need to lead their parties wherever those parties are to be found. It doesn't matter if she's got six or eight or 60 seats. That's her flock. She is the shepherd. And those people who oppose Dog Ford outside the legislature, they are either single-issue advocates, they are protesters, or they are journalists. They are not the leaders of the Ontario Liberal Party. So what do you, th- what do you think of my takedown of Steve Pakin? <laughs> 
Who wants to go first here? I, I, well, let's go with Mark, because, Mark, yeah. you sought a seat in Queens Park. So I have to think that because you did that, you know the value of being inside the legislature. Sought a seat. Tongue twister. So I'm tomato, tomato, because you know there are a couple of things. There are times when you have to rely on those pie charts and bar graphs and strategic experts. And there are other times where you have to have that fire in your belly. And that party's in third place right now. And that fire in the belly, I think, is key and critical. Um, If you're going to be going up against Premier Ford, uh, when he is uh, off the teleprompter, he can appeal to the hearts and minds. And, and the more opportunities that Bonnie has to have that, uh, I think that that would be better. But, uh, you know, two and a half years is like three lifetimes in that political octagon. So yeah. maybe six months from now, it's all moot. And, uh, Stephanie, you know, you've, you've reported on these things. How many times do you remember uh, showing viewers clips of a heated debate a back and forth between one leader and another in Queen's Park. It happens every day. Well, yeah, it does. But let's also get real here. Nobody's quite watching it like we do, <laughs> right? Sure. It, 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 yeah. it could get fun and fiery sometimes. And it often has. But in, in this case, you know, I think when it comes to Bonnie Crombie, first of all, getting the leadership, um, huge step. And then, but I know from what she said at her, her press conference that day and since is that, She's going to go for that seat when the right seat becomes available, right? So right now, McNaughton's seat is up. That's what um, Lambton, Kent, Middlesex. So if they've got a, a candidate identified, so it's about a seat becoming available. And I think the second that happens, that's going to be the next move. So whether that, that we never know when that's going to happen. That could be a week from now. That could be six months from now. To Mark's point, this is a long time to 2026. In the meantime, you know, she has an opportunity to get around this huge province and introduce herself because that's the main thing. She is not coming in with that advantage that Doug Ford had every day at one o'clock when he stood up during the pandemic. Folks, you know, here's the latest. That was just, you know, so this is, I guess, the determination, the best way to get to the grassroots around the province and have impact while they wait for that seat to become available. That's my take. So, you know, I defer to Steve Pakin. I think he's an expert in Queen's Park. No offense, Ben, but I I see see a strategy here. uh, And I think that it's not going to be, well, it's just going to be as long as it takes to, to have a seat come available before, you know, there's that focus on Queen's Park again. But in the meantime, she's got some instructions to do right across this huge province. I, and I take everything that you say and, and it, it makes sense on 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 a certain level to me. But when you come into office, when you when you take the office of the of the leader of the Liberal Party and you say, you know, you effectively say, you know, it's a new day. And Doug Ford has uh, Doug Ford and his conservatives have their job cut out for them because we being a liberal is back. Being an Ontario liberal is back. To me, that means we are going to challenge you wherever we may find you. We will challenge you in the press. We will challenge you with voters. We will challenge you for uh, um, uh, for fundraising dollars. We're going to cha- and we are going to challenge you when you stand up in the House. And unlike all those other places, Doug Ford is not obligated to talk to Bonnie Crombie anywhere but the legislature. And so to forego that, to forsake that, to say that's not a priority, that is not living up to the promise of saying being an Ontario liberal is back. We are we are we have we have a job to do, and that is to hold this government to account wherever we find them. Well, guess what? You find them in the House every single day. And to choose not to be there is essentially saying to me, uh, 
we're not going to do everything we said we were going to do. Uh, Mark, how do you feel about 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 that? Well, strategically, she's made it very clear they need money and they need money now. So the time that she'd be spending in that uh, seat versus being out and knocking on doors and speaking to to certain uh, forums, uh, she she probably will be getting that access to those funds quicker uh, from point B than to be stuck there. So, uh, Mark, I, I, I got to push back. I don't think it's a choice. I think it's a false choice. If she gives a rousing speech in the house, in the house, if she uh, has a great day and is able to catch either Doug Ford or one of his ministers flat footed, they take the, the, her social media team will take that visual and put it on social media and she can raise money that way. You can do both things at the same time. Well, you know, again, not many people listen to the house. And, and I'll tell you, if, I, if I'm looking at my phone, I am not interested in that stuff. So it, it's it, she's got a team. They've got a plan. They've got a vision. They've got a bit of time. And, and I do think the first 30 days, first 60 days are going to be critical. And I don't think it really is a, a big factor day four uh, in that seat. Right now, she's having that celebratory, I've done it. And next steps are going to be crucial for that party to move where it needs to move. And, and it is a big move that they have to make in the next couple of months. OK, so my position is not finding fans amongst my members of the think tank. And, and, and ju- just to show that I'm uh, I'm fair, I'm going to give you an example as to why I'm probably wrong on this point by giving you the example of Grant Devine, who was elected as the progressive conservative leader in November of 1979. He lost the 1980 by election in a three way split. And he still came back in 1982 to beat the New Democrats and form a government. So the moral of the story is I can talk forever and then prove that I'm I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> now, somebody who I can I can absolutely listen to talk forever because he finds a way of 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 making I don't he's unique in the world of comedy. Let me put it that way. Let's uh, let's show uh, listen to a clip of Ryan Reynolds in support of sick kids. Every parent knows that kids, while a magical gift from heaven, can kind of be But it's hard for kids to be when they're sick. And that's why the work we do here at Sick Kids is so very important. We love you, Ryan. (laughs) That's so sad. Please donate to Sick Kids this holiday season, as every kid deserves the chance to just be a kid. What's your name? You look so stupid in that sweater. (laughs) It's working. (laughs) Okay, Uh, I got to ask you, what are your thoughts on that ad? If you're not a fan of Ryan Reynolds' comedy, you're not going to like that ad. I I loved it. And I love Ryan Reynolds full stop. Like he says, yeah. I love his sarcasm. And you see that and, you know, you, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, you do anything for your kid to be back to their little, you know, pee. I can't say the word on, on radio probably sounds right. <laughs> the whole, I mean, they are. So, you know, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. To me, this works so well. It's a, it's it's not the tearjerker. I'm sure that has worked also. But, you know, it's just a, a refreshing look at at the great work that Sick Kids does. And I love it. Chief, what about you? Love it or hate it? Uh, well, I, Mark, I love it. And you know what? I, I think that he is marketing gold. Everything that he touches is brilliant. And, and as Stephanie said, a breath of fresh air on the approach. And I think it's going to do fantastic. 
And let's remember, this guy has built uh, he, he's built an empire where I, I'm pretty sure I'm not I, I have no confirmation on this, but I would think that he used his own advertising agency to to to, to put this uh, to put this whole thing together. So so his fingerprints are all over. it. It's not like somebody gave him a script and he said, mm-hmm. OK, I, I can make that funny. No, he built I'm sure he and his team built this concept from the ground up. And, and a great institution like Sick Kids is going to benefit from I, I'm, I'm not afraid to say it. He's got a comedic genius. He, he is in, in, in a very specific way, a genius and to the benefit of Sick Kids. And I think we as a city uh, should be very thankful that he has uh, he found a charity that resonates with him I- inside of our city. And he has three kids at least now, right? Two, Ben. So he, he knows <laughs> how yeah. kids can be. But to see sick kids wrapped in that present, like he's wearing that, that awful Christmas sweater that the kid just absolutely roasted him on, which was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic, fantastic move by him. We're very lucky to have him, you know, and, and sick kids is lucky. And I was very lucky to have the both of you here as I hosted my very first think tank, Stephanie Smythe, Mark Saunders. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's do it again sometime. 